to Gavin Gilmore. I'm Jackie. And I'm Catherine. We're sisters, moms, and in our humble opinion, Gilmore Girls experts. So grab your gavel and take a ride to Chilton Academy. Hello. So today we're getting into one of our favorite characters. Yes. Miss Paris Geller. Woohoo. There is so much to be said about Paris. Yeah. Yeah, she's so unique, so intense, mm-hmm. such a complex character, unlike so many of the female characters out there. Yeah. So we're using one of our favorite tools to analyze her today, the Enneagram. Woo-hoo! Yay! Yeah. We're back with the Enneagram. <laughs> yes! Um, yeah, so <laughs> if if y'all didn't catch it yet, we also looked at Lorelai's personality through the Enneagram. That was episode six, so you can check it out if you like this. And as we said in that episode, and I'll say it quickly again, (laughs) that we're not experts or like trained in the Enneagram, but it is a hobby of mine. I'd call myself an enthusiast. You definitely are. Yeah. I've been into it for about a year and a half Mm -hmm. and I actually went to a training this week. Oh yeah. Just about my number, Mm -hmm. which was really cool. That's awesome. Um, That was, yeah, put on by Ashton Whitmoyer over. Okay, cool. Um, and it was awesome to dig in a little deeper. So it's, it's fun to look at. You know, we're not really supposed to be diagnosing other people. Right. Is what the experts tell me. Mm-hmm. But this is fun. And we're just, Paris is fictional. So yeah. we're going to do it. We're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's, she's, she's one of those people that just screams out mm. her number, much like Lorelai. Yes. I felt like someone had just opened up the Enneagram book and sat down and said, we're going right. to create Lorelai. It's so clear. Cut. Gilmore. And for Paris, she, she screams out to me an eight. An eight. Yeah. It's revealed. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, I feel like I should also share with people oh, yeah. that for a while I thought I might be an eight. Okay. All right. Yeah. I tested mm-hmm. as an eight several years ago and it turns out upon further review and looking at it more, I had a lot of behaviors, but it wasn't quite my core desire. Yeah. I mean, you definitely don't strike me like Paris. I have to say. I'm not like Paris. And maybe that's because she's you kind of in my un- whole life. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's because she leans to an unhealthy eight, sadly, most of the mm-hmm. time. And we're going to get into we that. We got to get into that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. All let's right. talk so about eights. eights in general. Okay. So, yeah. Eights are complex. So, they are outspoken, assertive, blunt, direct. There is no beating around the bush with this number. And they do not want to waste time. So this, mm. you know, this feels very Paris. Mm-hmm. And the thing about eights is they have very active doing and thinking centers. Yeah. So for them, they're not big feelers. The feelings are repressed. Mm. Feelings are not important. But if they do feel anything, it's passion. Yes. So they again, really like, lead with passion. They feel like that's the primary emotion. Yeah. That's the only one that matters. Yeah. So we're getting all the Paris feels here. So when I was thinking about Paris um, for this this component of eights, I was thinking about how um, my favorite example was the Operation Finish Line season seven. Yes. I just went right to the end there, those last five months at Yale, mm-hmm. when she really had zero emotion about finishing college. So it was true. all about the goal and about what they needed to do. So her doing and thinking was hyper activated. Yep. She had charts all over 
their room Mm -hmm. and she's just dragging Rory right along with her telling her what to do and I think it was funny what she included she had everything in there including didn't they even have yoga at some point and like belly dancing belly dancing and a frat party belly dancing yeah so it was everything from fellowships job fairs career opportunities to some fun things too like we have to go yeah sledding yes tray sledding yeah so she had it all in there that's what I found it so funny that she couldn't just have fun for the sake of having fun no. that she had to schedule those social activities because it was something that a college student would do yes in supposed her mind. to do we got to check it off the list yes with no feeling about it what made me laugh was that she had miniaturized the charts did anyone catch this no. so at one point they're in the cafeteria talking and there are miniature sizes of the charts so that they <laughs> no could way. they were portable so that they could talk about them while they're at lunch I just thought that was that's hilarious. amazing Jackie yeah. I did not notice that and I love it because <laughs> this was pre like so blackberries existed at this point but right. not every it was much more of a corporate thing so these right. girls did not have google docs yeah, on or like a notes app on their phone they didn't have anything so like true. that so i love that she miniaturized them so she could bring them wherever think about um, the amount of work that How did would I go miss into that, that. I, I missed it until just doing research for that <laughs> that was so funny i love that so okay so we talked about the passion yeah and I think, again, we can all agree Paris has passion in spades. So I was thinking about that six-week summer leadership conference that Paris and Rory go to in D.C. in between their junior and senior year at Chilton. That was so good. But when she's speaking to all the representatives with that intense passion, she's poking jabs at Bono and like Freddie Prince Jr. and Carson Daly. But (laughs) all the representatives are overwhelmed by her. Paris is never intimidated by adults in any position of power. That does not bother her. So true. So she's ready to go toe to toe with anyone. Right. She's talking to Barbara Boxer and she's not feeling intimidated that this woman (laughs) is a congressperson, an elected official. No. She's gonna she tell feels them like she's she at the same level and can match them. Exactly. Um, not just like academically, but sort of, I guess, intellectually. Intellectually, yeah, with her ideas and her thoughts. And Rory's talking to uh, Jamie over on the side. Mm-hmm. And she says, yeah, Paris is beating the will to live out of her nation's representatives. <laughs> and Jamie says, she is a hammer, isn't she? Oh. And I just wondered if that was what drew Jamie to her. I know. That passion. Definitely. And we'll talk about that as the episode goes on. But I love that the men in Paris's life can see who, her for who she is yeah. and admire it. They, I mean, it's they really have something to. else. They have no choice. <laughs> well, and the other ones just get tossed to the side That's before right. they're even in the running. That's right. Because they can't measure like, up. When she they does that speed up. dating and oh. she sits down with a guy, the first guy named Jack. Oh, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> She's basically just chewing them up. Do your parents like to travel? (laughs) I'm a theater major. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) So funny. Love it. So eights are very future oriented. Yeah. And they problem solve events before they happen. Mm Mm-hmm. So we see Paris doing this time and time again. Yeah. Um, so we talked about her her future orientation, thinking, doing earlier with that operation finish line at yeah. Yale. But at Chilton, I was thinking about her behavior at Chilton, the way that she acted. And I think that 
she appeared more, I would almost say vindictive during mm. her Chilton years than at Yale. Mm. And if you think about this under the umbrella of an eight, yeah, I think it could be because her number one reason for being at Chilton, her number one goal was to go to Harvard. Yes. And that was the reason she did everything and anything. Yes. Even I would include being cruel at times. Mm -hmm. If she had to be cruel to other kids, it was because they were either in her way Mm -hmm. or getting, you know, in that way of that goal. But she was going to Harvard and that was it. Yeah. And whoever had to get out of the way was fine with her. That's true. They were just kind of roadkill bumps (laughs) on the way to Harvard. (laughs) Brad. But I was thinking specifically about um, the Chilton Bicentennial when the kids could give speeches where the winner would be broadcast on C-SPAN and Paris is walking through the hallway just disparaging everyone trying to get into their heads. It's it's pretty mean when you think about everything she's saying. She's so competitive because she has these goals in mind. Yeah. Yeah. And she's she's trying to take everyone down so that she can be the winner. And Mm -hmm. that even if you think about it, they said that that. Um, that speech wouldn't help them necessarily with their applications. Applications were already in. True. But still, that was going to look good. She knew that it would look prestigious for Harvard. So yeah. she wasn't going to let anyone beat her. Right. And she knew that it was hard for these students to match wits with her, not just mm-hmm. not just on an academic level, but more with her presence and the way she could dominate a room <laughs> and sure win, could. win, win. <laughs> She absolutely could. And then the other thing about the problem-solving events before they happen, my favorite example of this is also at Chilton, the Shakespeare class reenactment Mm. of the Romeo and Juliet final scene. Yes. When she knows that she does not want Tristan there. She does not want him to play Romeo, but everyone wants him there because he's attractive and he looks good as Romeo. Even though she's had this deep, seated crush on him that's true for years and years <laughs> that she only allows to the surface once in a while and true. she still mm-hmm. unlike most high school girls mm-hmm. will not let it get in the way of her goals that's such a good point no she is not gonna let him if i was 16 and the hot boy wanted to join yeah. my group even if he was flaky i'd probably be like sure yeah come on in, yeah you know yes but she's looking at him as just an impediment that's true and probably make you a little like all a flutter and a little nervous and all those things that happen when you have that crush but none of that happens to her in that moment no she's just ready she just sees it as how can i get the a yeah exactly he looks the most like (laughs) romeo and so the path to the a is through him yep she keeps having brad learn the lines and be ready to go on brad doesn't want to do it ultimately we know tristan doesn't pull through (laughs) she knew he wasn't gonna pull through and somehow Paris is ready with a wig of for herself, an outfit, and she knows the part. And not a single one of us <laughs> doubted that Paris knew all the lines to, for every part Everyone. in that play. Mm-hmm. No one needed to doubt no. her competence to do that. I think what's funny with that whole scene is Rory is just like, what? Oh, I'm sure he'll show up. And I then know. he shows up and he's not ready. And she's just like, oh, hey, Tristan, like, yeah, what's she's up? like more what concerned happened? with him on a personal level. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, are you in not trouble? Not caring about what's the going on? Yeah. yeah. 
And Paris is off getting ready for the project. Of course. Mm-hmm. That's what matters. That's what matters. That's good. Because the, the feelings, <laughs> if she took the time to stop and think about what's going on with Tristan, why is he not yeah. suited up for this play? Oh, geez, there must be something going on in his personal life. Mm, no, nope, right. that gets in the way. And she would never consider going to the teacher and saying, well, our main lead just got kicked out of school, so we can't go right. on. Right never considered no she's not about the excuses we saw that in season one when rory accidentally knocks into her project and it spills and crashes everywhere Mm -hmm. and paris doesn't even want to go to the teacher before class and say i need an extension no nope she just takes it and goes and then the other major trait for eights is this desire to protect themselves. Oh, that's a huge part of being an eight. Which often comes across as this need to be in control. Yeah. Um, you know, back to Chilton and that vindictive behavior that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. There was the episode when I think it was actually Paris's burning when mm. the gossip is spreading around Chilton about her parents divorcing. Yeah. And she sees Max and Lorelai kissing. Yeah. And then she spreads that all over the cafeteria. Yeah. And, you know, she she wants to heat off herself. We know that. Yeah. Um, she's protecting herself. She is. That was her number one goal yep. in that moment. She's thinking about no one else. And no. at the time, I think that she and Rory were doing okay. Am I wrong? I lose track. You're not wrong. I think they were okay at that moment because it, it caused tension between yes. them after that. Mm-hmm. Because I think Rory says to her after that, what is wrong with you? I've been nice mm-hmm. to you. Like, yes. How could you do this to not only me, but to Mr. Medina, who's so good to you. He holds up your papers. Mm-hmm. And she really lays into her about the people that she hurt. Absolutely. And it seems like no one ever points that out to Paris. No. That you're actually hurting people. Right. Because she does not think about that. Right. And that seemed, the comment about Mr. Medina from Rory did seem to resonate with Paris, but not until it was too late. It's nothing that Paris would have considered on her own because mm-hmm. she just strikes from the gut. Exactly. And then one I think that's really comedic and funny was her insistence on driving Glenn's van to Florida Spring Break. Oh, Jackie. I love oh this one. Her quote, if I die in a car crash, it's going to be at my own hand. <laughs> Jackie, this like I I consider this as one of my tatsies because I what I resonated with this hardcore recently. Um, a couple months ago, I was in yeah. a car accident. I was hit from behind, Aww. and as you know, yeah. and um, it was on this in this area of town. That's you know, it's like this mountain that's yeah. considered a little dangerous, and so. The next, it's curvy and windy and all that stuff. So the next time I was going over it after the accident, I was like, I need to be the one in control. I need to be driving. That's right. Sorry, but I cannot be the passenger. And Uh I was like, oh my God, I'm totally Paris right now. (laughs) So I really, you know, sometimes (laughs) I understand her. Yeah. Sometimes a little bit eight. We know like a song for that. Like sometimes I'm a little little bit bit. eight. I feel it coming on. There's like some song we can sample. A little bit A in my <laughs> life. Oh, gosh. Remember that song? I feel it coming. I was so annoyed. Okay, go ahead. So, yeah. yeah. So, Paris wants to be in control. You know, she wants to protect herself. And she definitely has a fear of being seen as, as weak. For you know? sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And that's a huge characteristic for eights. Really, their their core desire 
is to avoid being controlled and this desire to protect themselves and others. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, she, Paris tries to avoid being seen as weak and powerless a lot as mm. well and to maintain that independence, to feel strong and capable. So we see for her throughout the series that one of her number one fears is betrayal mm. by people close to her. Definitely. And um, we've learned about eights. Uh, one thing that, is it Suzanne Stabile had yes. said that we were listening to a podcast that there's maybe 10 people in a lifetime that they trust. It's and oh boy, do we not see this with Paris Geller. Right. I mean, she didn't even tell Madeline and Louise, her supposed best friends, that she was in a relationship with Jamie. So true. Right. Who does she trust? You know, yeah, there were very few people. She mm -hmm. And it was hard for her to trust Rory. It took a long time and she went in and out of trusting Rory. Um, you know, she, I think she trusted Doyle, but occasionally mm -hmm. would expect the worst of him. True. In, in yeah. a few situations. Um, but with Rory, yeah. you know, this is the reason that Rory had to prove herself over and over yeah. again to to Paris at Chilton, even though Rory... <laughs> I think Rory wasn't even sure if she really wanted to be I know, right? Paris's friend half the time. I know. And but Paris was constantly testing her. Yes. And one time we see this, it's a more lighthearted example, is when Paris is going out for the religion beat at the Yale Daily oh, News. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And she has this dream and she comes to Rory and says, I had this dream that you were making ravioli or lasagna or something like that. And that you went out for the religion beat. And Rory tells her over and over, I don't want the religion beat. I'm going out for features. Are you sure? Are you sure? Because I had this dream, this and that. And Rory's kind of like messes with her head a little yeah. bit. But she, Paris cannot just be chill. No. Knowing and trusting Rory that, okay, she right. said she's going out for features. <laughs> right. And so I'll believe her. Especially given their history being on the paper together at Chilton. Mm -hmm. Like when was Rory ever interested in religion? She always wanted features. Totally. It just makes no sense. Totally. But she can't even trust that history. She trusts no. nothing. Nothing. She just expects betrayal. Absolutely. <laughs> and and they grappled with this over and over at Chilton when Rory... And Tristan were kind of, you know, not involved, but like having their thing. And um, Rory, Rory barely knew that Paris was interested in Tristan. That's right. And, but the moment that Tristan showed interest in Rory, I think that was another reason why Paris hated her early mm -hmm. on and wanted to bring her down. Yeah. I hated that storyline with Tristan and Rory and Paris because I, I felt like he kept ruining mm -hmm. their friendship. Definitely. And ruining things for Rory in terms of Paris. And I just, mm -hmm. I didn't like that power that he held with with determining like how Paris felt about Rory. Yeah. It was, she was so easily swayed. Right. And now I think looking at it from the point of view of Paris as an eight, it's more understandable. Mm -hmm. At the time, mm -hmm. I just wanted to be like, come on, Paris. Like, don't let him ruin this for you. You I know, know. Like, especially when it's like, does he mean that much to you? Yeah. Why are you letting him? Yeah. Like, trust Rory over him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I get it a little to. more. Yeah. And maybe Tristan wasn't even coming between them so much as Paris was looking for reasons yeah. to find fault with Rory. True. That's a really good point. Yeah. Any, probably anything. Was, yeah. He was yeah. just an excuse. Mm -hmm. He was a convenient right. disruptor right. to their friendship. It's to the point where 
If you asked me to list in order their fights at Chilton, I couldn't do it because in in the number of times we've watched it, Mm -hmm. I can't even keep track at this point. It is confusing, especially like if I'm in in the midst of a rewatch and I'm in season five and then I think about seasons (laughs) one through three, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Were they friends then? I can't even remember. They had so many ups and downs. So many. She really gave her a hard time. And, And, you know, I don't even know if someone like Rory, if it were real life and not a tv show if someone could have hung in there like she did i don't I give her so. a lot of credit yeah i mean would you have hung in there for no, somebody like that she would have definitely scared me <laughs> yeah i don't think i could have handled that level of intensity no you know not i think as, i probably would have just 16. like gravitated toward madeline and louise and been like, yeah let's just go hang out on the weekend <laughs> they were a little easier to be friends with <laughs> and then you know back to only trusting a few people when you know as everyone knows we have lots of spoilers in this in this (laughs) podcast but Paris flipped out when Rory dropped out Mm. of Yale do you remember that yeah I think one because Rory's bad at sharing news with her friends and she doesn't really tell Paris straight out right away but anyway it wasn't just because Paris lost her really maybe her only good friend at Yale besides Doyle Mm -hmm. but she says like that Rory inspired her to do her best yes and she was sort of this like competitive edge that Paris needed in order to succeed yeah that's what we hear her tell Mm Lorelai no I agree and I was glad that that Paris got mad at Rory that was one situation where I was glad that she yelled at her yeah because it was sort of like someone needed to question one of her peers needed to question why she wasn't coming back because like you said Mm -hmm. she really didn't tell anyone other than Logan Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I was glad that she really questioned her motivation I mean Rory didn't crack because Lane was off on tour with the band and Lane as we have talked about in past episodes just wants to support her yeah just tries (laughs) to be a good friend and be like be there for her yes doesn't really question Rory right she had that in Paris yes um and and then Paris, another huge thing for her is maintaining independence. Mm. And this is especially in her romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. So do you remember when Paris is dating Jamie and she's trying to figure out where to go to college? Mm-hmm. Like, no, she didn't get into Harvard, but she got into all these other schools. And Lorelai's asking her one day at the yearbook signing or something, you know, have you, have you made your decision? And she hadn't made her decision yet. And she tells Lorelai, well, you know, Princeton is a good school, but Jamie goes there. <laughs> she said, if I go there, it's going to look like I went there just to be with him. And suddenly I'm Felicity without the hair issues. And I'm not terribly comfortable with that. You definitely wanted to talk about that because it mentions Felicity. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm a huge Felicity fan, Felicity. everybody. <laughs> but that was a fun crossover. Yeah. Gilmore and Felicity. Oh, I love it. Yes. But, you know, and and Lorelai tells her, well, not going to a school that your boyfriend goes to just to appear that you're not following him is just as bad. Mm. And Good advice. that's helpful. Yeah, it was really helpful for Paris yeah. to hear. Uh-huh. But it's so this was clearly in at the top of her decision making yeah. about college. She doesn't want it to not only does she not want it to appear as though she's being Felicity yeah. chasing Ben across the country to college, mm. but. I think she also doesn't want Jamie to have any power over her mm. 
that he might have if she went to Princeton or that she would perceive him to have over her. Right. You know what's interesting about that is wasn't she going to Harvard because of family legacy? Yeah. So it was almost like she was forced into going to Harvard. Yeah. And then once that's off the table. Right. She is going to make a decision based purely on independence. Yes. With no outside influence. Right. Not even Jamie. It's true, because all of her factors, the only other factor she discussed was that Columbia would horrify her mother. That's right. I'm not sure why. It's like, is it because it's in the middle of the city? I I don't know. So these are all other people's perceptions. Yeah. Never once was she like, well, I want want a smaller school, or I really want to be in Boston, or New York, or California, or I want this, I want that. It was just all about goals and yeah outcomes right thinking and not being controlled by people right (laughs) right there was no emotion no because if she thought about what she wanted that's Mm. feeling yeah and emotion she doesn't know how to sit in that tapping into that she doesn't know how to process Mm -mm. that Mm -hmm. oh paris i know and then it's almost identical in Mm. yale when she's contemplating grad school so she gets into all these school 11 grad schools and then go Paris. Yeah. Like med school and law school, <laughs> even though she's not sure which one she wants to pursue. It's like, she's just covering her bases, of course, making sure she has all the options. Amazing. And then what does she do next? She breaks up with Doyle. Yep. Yep. I know. Poor Doyle. Poor but Doyle. I, it's so heartbreaking. Cause she's saying this was not in the plan. I'm not supposed yes. to be in love at this age. Oh, I and know. Doesn't that make you kind of tear up? Yes. And I think it's because that's one of the few times I think she's actually crying there yes, when she, she says is. that to Rory. She and is. it's one of the few times in the show we see her cry. I know. So she's tapping into that emotion in that moment. We're seeing her vulnerable Yeah. and we can see how much she truly loves him in that moment. And yeah. that that emotion is, is causing so much struggle for her and she doesn't know what to do with it totally so, true yeah, jack it's it's sad it is sad and she views that as the only way that she can possibly make a decision yeah. without outside influence mm-hmm. is to just break up with him i love how in that moment because she is so vulnerable she turns it back on rory and oh, then yeah. challenges rory to have to answer the same question right <laughs> like, yeah i gotta get out of this right when they're talking about is your career more, more important than your relationship? Mm-hmm. And Rory's, tr- she's trying to like do a wiggle dance out of it mm-hmm. and not really answer the question yep. and say, well, they're both important. Mm-hmm. They're both priorities. And yeah, it's almost like Paris is using the Socratic method on her to try to like <laughs> elicit answers that she herself um, is feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's a, it's a cool conversation. In Paris. It is. It is. Um, and she, she really wants to avoid being controlled, as yeah. we've said. Um, and I think, like, my theory is that, you know, in Chilton, when uh, when Tristan finally asks Paris out on a date, mm. and it was Rory's idea, yeah. when Paris finds out, she gets really pissed sure does. at Rory. Mm-hmm. And I think it's for many, many reasons but one that jumps out to me is that I think she was looking at herself a little bit like a puppet and that Rory mm-hmm. was the puppeteer and how dare these other people be like talking about her behind right. her back, even if it was quote unquote, like for a good reason, right. you know, in a positive way, like, yeah. Oh, you should date Paris. The two of you could be great together, which is what Rory says. Right. She's very friendly and positive about the whole thing. Sure. 
Tristan, give it a try. And it doesn't matter that no. Rory was looking out for her and trying to do something kind for her. It was like, you were the puppeteer yeah. and I feel like a fool. Another characteristic of eights is that they do not back down from a fight. <laughs> and this is a true hallmark of Paris. So um, my favorite example of this is the Die Jerk episode. Remember that one, Jackie? totally do so Rory comes home in case our our listeners forget she comes home and sees die jerk on the whiteboard of their dorm room and so Paris is already inside with Janet and Tana and they're like conspiring you know or just trying to figure out what's going on (laughs) right and Paris says we need to make a list of all like make a list of all your enemies sit down with a paper and pen and She's Paris's quote is we've got to rev up the gunships and retaliate before the next strike. It's like she's <laughs> so dropping all this like military or like war inspired language. She said a couple of things that I was like, I don't even know what that means. No, no, I'm I just know a civilian. Of, yeah, exactly. I didn't know half of what she said. It's like something it. about Sharon. Yeah. I was like, I don't even know what that means. Nope. I, sh- I could look it up. But yeah. and then she says, this is an assault that needs to be met head on. So she's like, listen, you know, obviously I'm probably the number one target here. Let's be honest. And she says, I've narrowed down my list of enemies from 25 to six. And Janet's like, just at Yale? She's just in this building. I love that. (laughs) So like Paris is always ready. She's ready for the fight. Mm -hmm. She knows who her enemies are. And expects that everyone else does too. Well, because Kathy, do you remember what Tana says there? She's like, Tana's like, yeah. can't we just let this go? Oh, right. <laughs> yes. Paris says, this right. is an assault that should be met head on. <laughs> and then when they question, it was, could it be Rory? You right. Know, She's like, oh, like, please. Oh, no. She's Bambi. like, Bambi. Yeah. yeah. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then, of course, my favorite part is when she says, I've got my East Side 860 partners on it. Now let's move. <laughs> And if you're not from Connecticut, you might not know 860 <laughs> is our area code in, in most of Connecticut. So that was a good such one. A funny reference. Mm-hmm. It really yeah. is. But we see Paris just like, not only will she not back down from a fight, but she's ready for a fight. That's right. And yeah. then like this happened with Francie all through Chilton. Mm. Paris, you know, was like ready to take her on. Yeah. She was totally okay with conflict yeah. with Francie. It didn't make her bad an eyelash and again kind of similar to the Tristan situation where initially when Francie enters the picture she's like trying to get in her good graces get into her club like all of those things and then the minute that Paris is in power Mm -hmm. she doesn't care who Francie is or what she wants right it's like she puts people on these levels Mm -hmm. and decides you're on a level beneath Mm -hmm. me I have more control over you So you don't really matter. No. I'm just going to steamroll over you. Yeah. Puffs no longer, no longer matter. No. Don't care. No. And she, yeah, she did it with Tristan too. Like yep. the whole PJ Harvey concert thing. Mm. She thinks Rory agreed to go to the concert. Rory didn't actually yeah. agree to the, go to the concert. Yes. And yet Paris holds onto this grudge yes. over the summer. That's the one like I can't stand. Like for months. Yeah. They come back, you know, poor Madeline starts talking to Rory. That's right. And, and has to be reminded, we're not talking to her. She's like, what, what? <laughs> you know, Rory has to, Rory even reminds her. She's like, you're not talking to me. Oh, yeah. Right. 
You gotta hang on to the grudge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Keep the fight going. Yeah. So she's ready to fight at all costs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, we also see that eights are natural leaders. Definitely. So given everything we've just talked about, you know, they have a lot of characteristics and qualities that make them natural leaders because they're so strong and decisive and they have these these qualities and characteristics. The question is, do they like to be leaders or mm-hmm. do they feel that they're the only ones capable yeah. of being leaders and that everyone else isn't qualified? Yeah. I think that's I've been wondering question. this about Paris. Yeah. So often, because like we see her take leadership at the Franklin right. and at the Yale Daily News and student council. But like, is she passionate about any of these things? We think like maybe she likes writing. She likes newspapers because she does two of them. Right. But she's also like very interested in a, in a medical degree. So right. like, are that you was... interested in this? Are you just doing it for her resume? to do it? And then same with, yeah. with student council. I honestly don't know if she wanted to be president. I My theory mm-hmm. is that like eights, yeah, sometimes they really like to be leaders, mm-hmm. but sometimes they just think no one else here is really qualified yeah. and I can do the job. Like yeah. I know how to lead. I'm not worried about conflict. Right. Not worried about running things. So like no one else is stepping up. I'm just going to do it. And she didn't understand it in that situation why it was important to be liked as a leader. Yes. Right. So she didn't understand Mm-hmm. Why she had to have relationships yeah. and maintain relationships in right. leadership positions. So that was always yes. her problem yeah. in a leadership position. She didn't really know how to work with people. The likability. And did you notice, <laughs> too, I feel like this was a subtle reference to the time period. Mm. She says something like, well, so they think I'm smart, but they don't want to get a beer with me mm. or something like that. Do you remember yeah, that line? Yeah. And at the time, so this is like 2003, 2004-ish, mm-hmm. and George Bush was president okay. at the time. And there was this ongoing dialogue when he was elected okay. about who would you want to get a beer with more, like George Bush or Al Gore. It was this ongoing dialogue, and people were like, but wh-? to Paris's point, yeah. that shouldn't matter right. who you want to get a beer with. Mm-hmm. Who's the most qualified? Right. And in her mind, that's okay. the only important thing. I bet you're right, because they love to pull in those tiny little they political do. references. So that probably was. They do. That was a good call. Yeah. It's a subtle thing of politicians. Like, they do need to be liked in order to get votes. They do. It's sad, but true. And that was, always, again, always her issue. We see time and time again, one of the funny... This for me was so funny. The Oppenheimer Award for Excellence. If you guys listening oh, can yeah. remember this. So it's at Chilton. And they're working at the paper for this, you know, it's like they can put out a paper and earn this award. Right. And she's yelling at the entire staff saying, we need to be better than all these papers. And she's throwing down actual newspapers, national newspapers, not other high school papers. Right. She's like, these are not our competition. These are our competition. (laughs) I need you to care. I need you to care. (laughs) Madeline Louise is like... Paris has gone bye-bye. <laughs> it really is one of her more intense scenes. It is. It's pretty short. But yeah. and she's saying, Rory, I know you care, but I need everyone else to care. Yes. And this is when she's aligning with Rory, knowing that Rory has the same passion that she does in this instance. Um, but you can just see that she she doesn't know how to motivate in that moment. Mm. She's just yelling. Yes. And she's she think, is. I think she does the same thing in the SAT prep 
class that she gives and oh, she's way. saying I can scare the stupid out of you which yeah. I don't even want to hate I hate I to know, repeat right? that because that's a horrible all line kinds of problems yeah um but the fact that she thinks she can scare anything like that out of someone is terrible right, she's, but the laziness runs deep <laughs> yes and it just shows that she doesn't quite understand no. the depths of humanity and emotions I know and so this gets her time and time again as a leader yeah Obviously, when she's at the Yale Daily News, Mm -hmm. she just self-destructs when she is the editor. And it's hard to watch um, because she had such a good run when she was there just as a reporter with Doyle. And when he was editor, but the minute she gets in charge, she just loses all faith in everyone that's working with her. She suddenly assumes their incompetence, even though she's been working with them Mm -hmm. for years Mm -hmm. and knows that they're competent. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, she to the point where she won't let people go to the bathroom. She yeah. won't even call them by their names. No, I mean, she won't. It really goes off the rails. It does. And no one wants to work with someone like that as a leader. So no. And I kind of love sit like thinking about the writers sitting down and thinking, okay, so Paris becomes editor. What would be her natural trajectory here? <laughs> that she ends up in a bunker? You're right. Like this is the bunker. path. She starts out with all these, you know, making people sign in and out and, and it, pro- we see it progress kind of slowly, you know, so that the uh, environment is becoming less and less healthy yeah. until she puts up walls around her literally, literally. not just figuratively. <laughs> And won't accept any help, you know, feels like she can only rely on herself. Yep. And this is like the sad thing about, um, about, you know, Paris being an eight, like one of the lovely things, I want to make sure we include positive qualities of Mm. eights, um, for anyone listening, Mm -hmm, you know, but mm -hmm. eights can be wonderful leaders who really motivate people into action and inspire them into action and sadly Paris is just she's not really a healthy eight like she doesn't have Mm. a lot of positive mental health support right and you know coping strategies that's right so we often see her in an unhealthy mode and I think that's why this happens to her whereas Mm. it would be really cool if you know maybe uh, like I'm skipping ahead but like maybe in a year in the life when Mm. we see her have this medical practice Mm -hmm. you know maybe she has figured out a little bit more how to run things like we still see her bossing around people and treating the egg donors Mm. you know (laughs) kind of like objects yeah kind of yeah um but like maybe she has learned how to inspire her staff a little bit more the fact that she's running this office or they could have just shown us like people coming in and out like Emily's maids, that would be a realistic, like ending for not ending, but that would be a realistic, like next step in Paris's life. That's so true. Yeah. To have like a cycle of administrative assistance going in and out because she doesn't know how to manage people. (laughs) That's so true. This is going to date me a la Murphy Brown. (gasps) Does anyone know that reference? Mm -hmm. If you do, please tell us on Instagram. Oh, totally. (laughs) She even had Kramer as her assistant once. The actor who plays. Oh my gosh. That's funny. Kramer. Yeah. But I have to go back Benson to the remembers. Daily News <laughs> combustion. I just have to say yeah, yeah, one yeah. of the best things we got out of that was Bill. And yes. do you remember we met Bill? I love Bill. Yeah, we met him at yeah. Fan Fest a couple of years he, ago. The actor was awesome to talk to. Yes. He was a cool guy. Yeah, he actually went to Yale, which was <gasps> cool. Right? 
Yeah, maybe. I kind of forgot. He had a lot of cool things to say. Everybody don't quote me on that. I might be wrong. (laughs) But he was super fun to talk to and a really interesting guy. I just want to say. But I loved his character. Yeah. Um, That was one of the best parts. He was so funny. (laughs) With the yo-yo. When Logan yells at him. (laughs) But yeah, like, so we see um, it's, it's hard for her to work when other people in charge oh yeah um and but one thing i thought about was interestingly when she's first at the yale daily news she doesn't have a problem with doyle as editor that's true I and know. she yeah. i think it comes from a place of respecting him because he's kind of tough too mm. um he you know keeps things flowing he's a good leader and I think she backs down a little bit when mm. she sees good leadership and respects people. That's She's like, able yeah. to say, okay, I don't need to be in charge because someone else has it. She can kind of relax for a minute. Yeah, maybe. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of who are other people that she respected throughout her, her yeah. time on the show. Like, well, We know she didn't respect Headmaster Charleston. No. <laughs> I don't know if she respected anyone at Chilton. Anyone in leadership? Real, mm, yeah, because she made Perfect. fun of the teachers she a did. lot, remember? Mm-hmm. And she said something about like a teacher's sad sandwich yep. or like eating a banana yep. lunch. No. She, w- she criticized them left and right. She did. I think she respected Richard. She did. She did respect we, Richard. When we they have do that, that interaction group project. Mm-hmm. in the group project. And we see them really bond together, even mm-hmm. though Rory was supposed to be in charge of that project. Right. And we don't know why she was supposed to be in charge. We don't see yeah. how she ended up in charge because every yeah. other project Paris is in charge. Yes. Um, and she's so uncomfortable with Rory being in charge. But, I mean, ultimately, Rory doesn't really do a lot to be in charge of that group. Mm-hmm. Paris kind of takes mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. It's her idea and, mm-hmm. um, you know, her planning. But she, yeah, she kind of partners up with Richard. She and they does. have this... She just like, like shows up at his house bond. one day and answers the door. Yes. Yeah, so you can see that they were really working together behind the scenes. Yeah. Because I think, again, she views him as sort of a worthy opponent yeah. almost. You know, like I could go head to head with yep. this man in the real world. Right. And so I, I respect him. I can be with a person like that. Anyone else? Also, not like, her parents. She does not respect her parents. No. We know that. I don't think they've given her a reason you to. You know what? I think she respects Nanny. She does. Well, I mean, Nanny's the only person who's given her love, I think. That's her emotional stability. Mm -hmm. And I do think she respects that. I like how she calls her to tell her she's not coming home. That's true. You know, and she asks her um, questions sometimes when she needs her and invites her, obviously, to her graduations. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that shows a, a lovely emotional respect. It does. And one of the only times we ever hear Paris say, I'm sad is when she says, it makes me sad that you don't know Nanny. <gasps> yes, that's right. right. When Nanny shows yes. up in like season five or six. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, So I she like has that. a little protective place. Yeah, she does. For Nanny, which is good. Yeah. Because it seems like Nanny That's her only caregiver, one. really. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyone else she respects? I can't so, think. So I mean, besides working Rory. with Doyle. Yeah, Rory, definitely. Lorelai. I think she respected Lorelai. so. Yeah. You know what is funny? I think Paris was like boggled about Lorelai half the time. Yeah. She was confused about her role and like who you are. You know, like, are you a friend? Are you a parent figure? Are you kind of in the middle? But Lorelai gave her 
some great advice a couple of times and acted almost as like a big sister or an aunt yeah. that maybe yeah. Paris didn't have. Maybe more so not. I think she was more confused by her in the first few years. Yeah. Because they were so close in age and maybe yeah. she didn't respect her for getting pregnant at a young age. You know, who knows? Yeah. But yeah. then, yeah, I think she sees Lorelai as a stable adult figure mm-hmm. who worked out her own life and yeah. finds some respect in that. And then, yeah, does get good advice from her. So side note, can I also say how funny it is that, Paris so easily uses adults' first names, even when she's a minor. She does. Like, she starts calling Richard Richard immediately. She never says Mr. Gilmore, even though he's 50 years older than her. Again, because she sees herself as an equal. Yeah. And so we talked about that there's a difference on the Enneagram with numbers being in in times of stress, how they act, and then in times of being more healthy. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about that Paris definitely comes at her number from more of a time of yes, stress and yeah, Yeah. that she tends to isolate from others, you know, withdraw, put up those walls. And Mm -hmm. um, we see a lot of examples of that, that we talked about and we were sort of exploring what we would have loved to see from her if she came at her eightness from a healthy place. Yeah that she could have used a lot of her gifts to protect others because mm-hmm. that's definitely something that eights do. So not only do they protect themselves, but they use their gifts to protect others. And we were trying definitely. to think of times when she did do that and times when she could have done more of that. Yeah. Cause we saw her protect Rory a few times. We did when Rory had, was on the outs with Lucy mm. Paris really stood up for Rory and said to Lucy, like, this is a good friend in front of you right here. And you're, you're, you know, if you don't realize that, then you're ridiculous. I love that. Yeah. It It was was kind of funny because I know that her motivation at the time of that was to get Rory's attention Mm -hmm. back to the operation finish line because Rory was so distracted (laughs) by Lucy and their conflict. But also at the same time, you can see that she she yeah. lovingly was saying those words she in did. true, genuine honesty. So yeah. I thought that was cool. And I, I do love when she rips Logan apart oh my God. when Logan and Rory are having problems. We all wanted it's it. It's so funny. We all wanted it to happen. Yeah. Like the only person who would miss you is your BMW <laughs> dealer or something like that. It was such I think a- it's your Porsche dealer. Oh, right. Oh, that's even better. Your Porsche dealer. It was delivered so well. And I just love when she stuck up for Ray. Yeah, those were pretty awesome. It was great to see. So, like, even though she was constantly fearing betrayal from Rory, mm-hmm. when it came down to it, she was going to stick up for yeah. her. And then I feel like also in high school, there were times where she motivated Madeline and Louise into action, mm. into things that they maybe normally wouldn't do. Like Definitely. the fact that they were on the paper at all. Would they have signed totally. up for the paper on their own? No, Madeline just wanted to write an advice column. That's so. right. <laughs> I feel like they were kind of bored during the, you know, like instead of doing the layout for the issue, they're doing prom pictures and stuff like yeah, that. You, you yeah. get the sense they don't really want to be there. Yeah. So I think it's pretty clear that Paris is an eight. <laughs> and the funny thing is that, you know, I don't know if we see a lot of women who are eights kind of in the world Mm -hmm. you know it it, 
like what does it mean to be a female eight when we think about these yeah. characteristics like being direct yeah um being a leader mm-hmm. being decisive trusting your gut yeah these are all characteristics that we socialize girls not to do really very true like don't trust your gut look at what everyone else wants you to do yeah. you know look at how everybody else is dressing yeah um, don't be direct. Soften your words so that yeah. people respond to them, you know, and so that people feel good when you're talking to them. Yeah. Like, this is really how we raise girls. And so sometimes I wonder, like, are there eights out there who are women who are feeling kind of either like shamed by their number and yeah. by their, you know, by their characteristics or feel like I don't even want to identify with being an mm-hmm. eight because like that's not feminine or something yeah. like that, you know. It's pretty complicated. Yeah, these are definitely characteristics that are valued typically in the masculine world. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you're generally a female who exhibits these characteristics, I agree that either they're socialized out or I think we can all think of girls that we knew who exhibited these characteristics. Mm-hmm. And think about how did you feel about those girls? How did you interact with them? And um, what did it feel like for them to exhibit those characteristics? And the same question you just asked, did they feel like they had to change themselves? And even think about female leaders right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And um, probably they, most of them are eights or exhibit a lot of characteristics of eights. And think about what... um, we say about women who are leaders totally and what is talked about and it's just different from the male leadership mm-hmm. think about politicians you know mm-hmm. i mean so when we were exploring eights we did hear that generally a lot of females are socialized out of their eightness yeah and it is a struggle for them mm-hmm. to find a place where they feel they fit in yeah. and it's not until they find that place that they can be their true selves Mm -hmm. so they can have kind of a tough journey absolutely and I love that you note that you mentioned sort of looking at it in young girls um this is something I've caught myself on personally and it's fun to talk about this here because we we're both parents Mm -hmm. and I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast but I do run a feminist parenting (laughs) website and business um you know where we look at these gender stereotypes related to children and, mm-hmm. and I've caught myself on it in my own home. Like when my daughter has had um, friends over to play, you know, I remember once there was a little girl who was very direct with asking me for things, you know, like I want a snack now or like, please give me a drink. Yeah. And, and at first I was like, Oh wow, this girl is really, you know, like asking me for stuff or yeah. like kind of not demanding, but yeah, yeah. maybe a little bit. And, I had to stop and go, Ooh, Catherine. Okay. This is okay for a little girl to have these characteristics. And I caught my bias in the moment. That's amazing that you did that though. And you practice this every day, you know, so it's not something that a lot of us practice and it's harder for us to catch it. Yeah. So yeah, it's great that you spread the word. (laughs) That's why we want to talk about it within this podcast, just to bring it up every so often within the context of Gilmore Girls. We think it's important. Yeah. And I hope like parents Mm -hmm. and teachers can take a look at whether 
that's happening really mm-hmm. unconsciously. Yes. I mean, it is because mm-hmm. that's the way that we were all socialized. So <laughs> yes, it, it, it just is. Yes, yeah. it is. We can all accept that. <laughs> totally. And I really appreciate um, people out there who are talking not only about gender, but the racial dynamics of this as well. Mm. Um in episode six, I definitely gave a shout out to my one of my favorite Enneagram podcasts, which is yeah. Enneagram for the Culture. Yeah. And early on in season one, I think they're on season three right now, mm-hmm. but in season one of this, Camille and Kim um, talked about how eight shows up, um, you know, with gender and race mm-hmm. and So like we can look at this with just gender dynamics, Mm -hmm. but I love that they point out when you also throw in racial dynamics, like for example, for a black woman, they're going to face this trope of the angry black woman if they show up fully in their eightness Mm -hmm. and that it might not always be safe in environments, either just out and about or professionally Mm -hmm. for them to really be their true selves mm-hmm. because of these tropes mm-hmm. and how they're perceived. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and they touched on black men as well and mm-hmm. how like, again, like we know Paris comes into a room and you know, she's there right. and she's very, you know, there's this one point where she's like, why does everyone say this? This is just the natural register of my voice. Right. I'm not yelling. Right. And so I love how Camille and Kim also made the point that for, for black men, if they show up in a space fully as eights, mm. they might per- be perceived as this trope of like the dangerous black man, right. you know? So, um, I really appreciate people like them who are talking about this and mm-hmm. like just bringing it into, to daily conversation. Absolutely. That podcast is awesome. If people want to give that. Yeah. Check a listen. Out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we wrap up, this is a segment we call you got Totsied. Just like the scent of Tatsy's perfume never quite leaves your clothes, Gilmore Girls never quite leaves our brains. So let's talk about how Gilmore showed up in our real lives this week. Let's do it. Do you want to start, Jackie? (laughs) Yeah, sure. So my mother-in-law went on this really awesome trip recently, and she actually visited an ice hotel. And (gasps) I was like, oh my gosh. Lorelai wanted to go to an ice hotel. She mentions it to Chris, and I think it's when they're married and they're talking about, I don't know if they're talking about going to Paris or talking about going on a trip. And she's saying, we should go to an ice hotel and yes. we can drink vodka and all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, I don't think you really want to do. He's kind of like poking fun at her, right. um, but sort of engaging in the conversation. And I just started laughing because my mother-in-law went to an actual ice hotel. She did not sleep That's amazing. over, but she visited. Yeah. They hung out for a while and I got to see, she took pictures. And oh, I, got I to want see to see the them. Yeah, it was so cool. I was That's like, okay, these really exist. Right? Yeah. She That's does some, so cool. She goes on very cool trips, my mother-in-law. She does. Mm-hmm. I want to see so, those slides maybe. Yeah. Slides. <laughs> I'll turn them into slides. That's what I was like thinking, Lorelai right? would have done. <laughs> How did you get tatsied? Um, yeah, mine was all right. So we're recording this episode a little bit before it airs. So mine is kind of like a slightly summary reference. Mm-hmm. I was wearing cutoff jean shorts one day, and you know, as you do. Yeah. And I had to pick my kid up from camp. It was raining that day, as it has a lot of the summer. <laughs> And so I just threw on some rain boots because I was like, you know, it's going to be the ground is going to be really wet, whatever. I think I grabbed a rain jacket, too. And so I like I fly out the house and then I look at myself and I look down and I have cut off shorts and these rain boots on. I was like, 
I look like Lorelai on the first day of Chilton. Were you wearing this a tie-dye so shirt too? <laughs> right? I might as well have been. I should have put one awesome. on. Yeah. And then You're I was a little a cool so, I was like, I don't think I look quite as terrible as she did, but I'm yeah. a little embarrassed. You're a cool mom. I don't know. <laughs> no awesome. one else was wearing rain boots no that day. <laughs> you were prepared. Come on now. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us once again. Yeah, and we want to know your thoughts about this episode, about Paris and the Enneagram. So come hang out with us on Instagram at Gabin Gilmore. That's two G's in the middle. And tell us what you think. And of course, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. This podcast is produced with support from Studio 20 South. See you next time. Copper boom. <laughs>